everybody, and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today, we have a very exciting episode about taxes. And you may not believe me yet, but it is actually a lot of fun. I am so happy, because if you are like me, you have a lot of questions about taxes that you don't know who to ask without feeling stupid. And so, we have taken it on, and now we are asking stupid questions for you. <laughs> You might be going like, wait, what the heck? Jesse just said that this is an exciting episode about taxes. Like, oh, no. Like, skip. No, thank you. I don't need that 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 in my life right now. But let me just tell you that the guest that we brought on today is such a pleasure and just such a lovely person that I left this conversation feeling excited to go do my taxes. And yes, those words just came out of my mouth. Like, I feel super motivated, like I'm ready to get my act together, like I'm ready to actually like take responsibility for my finances. So you guys are in for a treat. So keep listening. It's going to be a really good time. But before we introduce our guest, we have a couple of announcements for you guys. So this week we are having our Opera Watch Party, which we host on Discord. Our theme is 20th and 21st century. So We are finally circling back to our theme for the year, which is New Year, New Music. We are doing two watch parties again, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. The first one on Saturday, April 10th, will be at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, or 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And then on Sunday, April 11th, we will have a watch party at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, or 6 p.m. GMT. So no matter what, hopefully we... We'll be able to catch you guys. If you want to vote on what we'll be watching, because we will be watching two different operas, hop onto our Instagram and choose your favorite. Yeah, if you haven't joined us before for one of our opera watch parties, basically it's hosted on Discord every week, usually on Wednesday or Thursday. We present you guys with a couple operas we're feeling that fit our theme, and you guys vote. And based off of, you know, vote number one and two, that's what we pick for our Saturday and Sunday opera watch party. It's great. You get to watch a free opera because we know not everybody still has access to these types of resources and video content, you know, once you're out of school. And so it's a great time to just have a little powwow with other young artists. It's a lot of fun. And it's like, it's just a good vibe and you get to watch opera and have fun. We love it. So now let's hop into the episode. And we are so excited to introduce new friend of the podcast, Tiffany Soricelli. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. We are just so excited to have you here. When we thought about doing a tax episode, we knew we were a little bit over our heads. Um, and so it's so exciting to have someone who not only knows so much, but already works with musicians. So we'd love to l- know a little bit more about how you started as a musician and got to where you are now. Absolutely. Sure. So let's go way back. I started performing no, at the age of eight, really. I was going to joke and say, like, we could go back to the womb, but that's a little too far. So <laughs> that is where being a musician begins. <laughs> yeah. When I was eight, I was a very precocious child. And I actually started performing in and around my hometown of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, doing dinner theaters. And I did a lot of work at Sight and Sound, which is a regional theater there. And I just, I fell in love with singing at a very young age. And I would always sing along to all the musical soundtracks in the household. And I mean, that was just a a passion of mine. And so by the time I was ready for college, we as a family had moved to Long Island and my voice teacher was a graduate of the Crane School of Music and Renee Fleming went to the Crane School of Music. So of course I was going to be the next Renee. And so I was going to the Crane School of Music. Yes. So uh, I get to college, you know, with this dream of being a singer since I was a kid. 
and I got really interested in other areas of of the field. You know, it wasn't just about being center stage, but there's so much more, right? There's so many other areas of opportunity. And so in my sophomore year of, of undergrad, I added a music business degree, which in hindsight may have been the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Um, <laughs> so I graduated with my bachelor's in vocal performance and music business. And at that time, you know, I, I wanted to pursue a master's degree, but I was like, you know, I'm really not sure. So I took what I would call like my gap year. And because I'm super ambitious in type A, I actually ended up turning my summer internship before senior year into my first job. So my first job straight out of college was for a small boutique arts manager. She had been in business for 10 years. We had a great roster, 30 singers-ish and a couple of conductors. Just, it was really neat and we were a very nimble team. And then about a couple of weeks into our work together, she decided to pursue a different opportunity. So my first job was to close a 10-year-old business. Oh, wow. It, yeah, it was it was really hard. You know, and, and you when you graduate undergrad, you're just full of all of this, like, you're just ready to take the world by the horns, and you're just ready to go get them. And it was just like, uh, oh, okay. So we partnered it so that I could work at a secondary firm, actually Colbert Artist Management. They're a great team and a wonderful company. And so I was working at Colbert while closing the first company. And so as my responsibilities for the first company decreased, my responsibilities at Colbert were increasing. But when all was said and done about 18 months into this, you know, I was really ready for just, I needed something completely fresh and different and new. And so I ended up going and applying for any job that I could really find, really hinging upon my administrative skills, my business degree, music business degree. And I ended up becoming the second assistant to the owner of an $11 billion hedge fund. Awesome. So <laughs> as one <yeah>. casually does. <laughs> As happens. Our building was um, right above the FAO Schwartz store when that used to be in New York. I actually lived there and worked in that building when they opened the Apple store, which, you know, tells you all how old I am. (laughs) So it was it was an exciting time. And it was just it was something completely new, something high, you know, fast paced learning every day. And I have to say, like, that's really relevant to what we're going to be talking about today, because while I was helping run the, you know, the office of the the owner and the vice president, essentially, I was doing the expense reports for a team of six. And it's very interesting what a team of six dudes and one lady expense on Wall Street. Like, it really helped me understand the systems that they were doing on a, on a corporate level and what's deductible, what's not, how they kind of skirt around all of that. So we're going to talk more about that later in the episode. But at that time in my life, you know, I was really kind of, I was loving the work. I was doing some singing around New York. And then as life has it, I got engaged. And my now husband had to do his master's in music education. So at that point, I was like, all right, like, now I'm too far afield. Like, I miss music. Because just singing in rehearsals, I was singing with the New York City Master Chorale at the time, but that that wasn't enough. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do a master's in music ed. Why not? I went back to Crane. I pursued a master's in music ed. And while I was there, I was asked to take over as the business manager for the regional orchestra in town. Now, that was partly due to the fact that, you know, as a one-person shop, really, in the past, they had only done ticket yeah. sales and they hung posters And so I like to say, like, I had the business experience, I had the industry experience, and for the North Country, I had a pulse. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess it's a good thing to have when you're getting hired for a job, but... 
so in the so I pursued my master's in education. I did my student teaching, my practicum, and all of that. And I was the business manager for this orchestra. And so while I was there, I got very interested in the operations of a professional orchestra. And I and I went to conferences and I I learned all I could. And I started having money conversations. Right, I just came from an eleven billion dollar hedge fund. Some of our smallest investors, you know, had a measly three million dollars with us. Like it was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica oh my just gosh. smashed her head on the desk. She was like, what? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> broke my brain for a second there. <laughs> so like jumping from that world into rural upstate New York to fundraise for a professional orchestra that had already been in existence for 25 years. We had a proven donor base. We had, you know, community connections. But the thing is, is that nobody was asking for money. So mm. I get up there and I'm like, let's talk money. And people are like, what? <laughs> But I started leveraging our community partnerships. I started asking our loyal donors, you've been a donor for 25 years. Why not consider a legacy gift? Why not consider a state plan? You know, all of these things that can actually sustain and grow our organization. So in the three years that I was managing that orchestra, we saw a 30% increase in our annual budget simply because we were asking for money. And I, I did wow. a lot of board engagement work too. And I just really, at that time, like I said, it was a one-person shop, so this was an opportunity for me to do a 360, and I was really being intentional while I was there thinking, do I want to go into marketing? Do I want to go into concert promotion? Do I want to do accounting? You know, And I really, really, really liked fundraising. I liked those relationships. I liked connecting with people to talk about their goals and their dreams and their legacy, and so when my husband got access from his job where he was teaching in Malone, New York, we just, we were hiking the Adirondacks one day and we were like, oh my God, we, we can't stay in the North Country on one part-time salary plus my choir director job. So we jumped ship. In two weeks, we found a place and jobs in the capital district of upstate New York. And he teaches in the Burnt Hills district where he has been ever since. And I ended up at a local university and then I did a stint at a statewide nonprofit. So I did about another six years in fundraising exclusively. And it was that experience yeah. of working in fundraising where I distinctively remember it. I was sitting in a meeting with a descendant of the Rockefellers and their foundation. And I was with my executive director and I was the director of development. And we were talking about the family's legacy and their goals. And I had this like light bulb moment where I was like, oh my God, if everyone had this level of planning, everyone could achieve their dreams, right? Everybody could be a philanthropist. Everybody could put their kids in college, whatever. So that's what inspired me to kind of, I've always been a, a personal finance geek, but I went like really deep. I got all of my licensing done. I just really jumped and made a complete left turn. And I opened my first financial planning practice in 2015. Because of my background in music, because of my understanding of, of the arts, I kept getting introduced and working with a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, a lot of creative professionals. And to be honest, that's who I prefer to work with because we have a shared value system because I get really excited about the work that my clients are doing and I am able to kind of translate the sometimes scary, sometimes not so fun parts of business and finance to, to what their needs and their goals are. But as I started working with these creative professionals, I started seeing these patterns, right? Living on an inconsistent income stream, figuring out taxes, keeping more money in your pocket, planning for your future, investing for your own retirement, all of these things that came up that were really indicative of a career in the arts. And I saw the opportunity to really kind of fill a niche. I mean, working in the financial sector, 
nobody does this. Like nobody reaches out. Nobody. I mean, a lot of my colleagues in finance, they are they chase doctors and lawyers and surgeons and they build practices serving this demographic of traditionally high income earners. But when I tell people that I work with artists and creative professionals, I've literally been laughed at. I've been told, well, artists have no money or, oh, my God, thank God that you're doing that because they need it. And I'm like, oh, contraire, like some of my artists make a buttload of money. And some of them have so many different jobs that they're making a lot of money because they're able to translate what they do into so many different things. So there is there is nuance here. There is opportunity. And the people that are doing it right are probably making more than your dentists. So <laughs> it's been. <laughs> <laughs> we like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, they're paying less taxes, maybe. But um, sure, maybe. <laughs> so, um, in 2018, again, seeing these patterns, I really just created an opportunity where I could carve out a completely separate part of my business and start something that's really dedicated to serving arts and arts communities, and that's really where Virtuoso Advising for Artists was born. So, we were established in June of 2018 really with the goal of providing education and income opportunities to creative professionals. Some of the core beliefs of the business are that I only hire artists for like, you know, my branding work or, you know, anybody that's helping me as a virtual assistant. I will only work with people who have a creative background. And this is something to only support that background more. It's just, it's, it's, it's my passion project and where I spend a great deal of time. And so through that, I, I do direct coaching. I'm the, the business and financial coach to uh, the Lindemann program at the Met and the K Fritz Young Artist Program at Washington National. I work with resident artists at Minnesota Opera, and this season I'm working with the Adler Fellows in San Francisco. And then I do a lot of smaller, more concentrated seminars over the summer at places like Wolf Trap and Glimmer Glass and Chautauqua. It's not that I'm only comfortable working with opera singers and singers, but I mean, I have a day job as a financial advisor. And so honestly, I've done almost no outreach to other organizations. And because of my work with Opera America and these other houses, people call for me to teach this content. So that's... I mean, that's, that's... how we found you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why we're super excited to have you with us today. It's a small, connected world. Yeah, exactly. And a funny story for our listeners on the podcast. You know, well, geez, now at this point, it's been a couple months, but we had... Um, uh, you know, our friends at Stratagem come in and talk to us about management. And that's actually how we made this connection. So it really is a small world and you never know who who knows who and how everybody's connected. So, wow, we love a woman who can do it all. That is a fascinating <laughs> career path. And I mean, something we talk about on the podcast all the time is allowing yourself the freedom to explore those other things that you're interested in and not just fitting yourself into the box of a performer if you don't want that you know and so yeah. it's really cool to hear that you kind of you know allowed yourself to explore that early on and then look at everything that you've been able to accomplish and all the I mean the work that you're doing right now is awesome yeah and like looking back there were so many times so I'm 37 now right um there were so many times in the last 15 years, right? I'm actually celebrating my 15 year graduation from undergrad this year. There's been so many times over the last 15 years that I've just tore my hair out being like, what am I doing? You know, why am I at a hedge fund or why, what am I doing running this orchestra? There's so many times that I'm just looking at my path being like, none of this makes sense. I have a degree in music and I'm not using it. Like what is happening? 
But I'm a firm believer that we all get to where we got to go, right? You're going to end up where you need to be. And when Virtuoso was created and I had that crystallizing moment, like, oh my God, I have a 360 view of the entire industry. I spent a decade as a singer, a young singer, but a singer. I have managerial experience where I've actually tried to sell, you know, like help get artists gigs. And I executed three years worth of contracts for a roster of 30. And then I ran a professional organization and fundraised for those organizations, right? So it's just very interesting because when I'm working with my clients now, you know, whatever their challenges are, whatever their goals are, whatever their career aspirations are, like I I have experience or I have contacts that also have experience and, and can bring, you know, resources to the table that way. So like you, you never know where you're going to go. I had a really great professor in my business program at Crane. Um, her name was Kiki Britt, and she's just a goddess. And she kept saying, Tiff, like, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to know the how, but it's, you're just getting more tools in the toolbox, right? This class, this, you know, job opportunity, this practicum, it's just, it's giving you more tools in the toolbox. And she couldn't have been more right. Because when you get to where you're going, the, the path makes sense, right? Looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, that's why I spent that time doing that. But when you're in it and you're, you're in the thick of it, you know, you just keep moving forward. Yeah. It's hard to, to see the, the forest through the trees, but every opportunity is a learning opportunity. So yeah. it's been, it's been a ride. <laughs> wow. I feel so inspired and we haven't even like gotten to the content yet. This is so good. <laughs> I'm feeling so, so motivated. I was going to say, I was like, now that we have firmly established your credentials here, let's hop into some questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tiffany knows a thing or two. <laughs> I build you up and then I'm like, all right, let's talk taxes. Because taxes <laughs> let's are... Let's talk taxes. <laughs> I'm glad you're feeling inspired because I, I have to be honest. It's one of those topics that comes up again and again with my clients who... Honestly, I had a gal email me over the weekend. She's like, I didn't nearly deduct what I need to, but I just need them done because taxes scare me. You know, and I just... Taxes are scary, and and it's one of those topics that people shy away from because they feel like they don't know enough, or they feel like they're going to do it wrong and they get in trouble. But it doesn't have to be the case. There's a lot of opportunities through proper tax planning, and I'm really excited to share some of that with you guys today. Yeah, that's me. I am that person who is scared of taxes <laughs> and also doesn't know as much as I probably should. Um, but it is it is exciting to have you on as well, because when discussing these types of things, like our audience is mostly young artists. We're looking like anywhere from 20 to 30 primarily. And, you know, within that age, you or age range, you have a lot of people who are kind of, you know, hey, dad used to file my taxes and oh shoot, now I'm out of school and now I have to do it. Like, what the heck does that look like? And I'm pursuing music. Like now I really don't know what's happening. And you get a lot of like little tidbits on the internet or you're like, learn a bit of like a music business class, but like, it's just so hard to make sense of so much information. So let's just start off with the super basics. And Tiffany, can you tell us from your experience, what are just some common mistakes that musicians make when preparing tax returns? I think the biggest mistake musicians make is waiting until April 1st to organize <laughs> and prepare for their taxes that are due on April 15th. So like taking a, a step back, right? As a musician, if you are a freelance person earning 1099 income, meaning self-employed income, you are a business owner. And I promise you, most successful business owners don't wait until April 1st to organize their taxes. 
they have accounting systems, they have staff, they have bookkeepers, they have systems that they put in place through the entire year to ensure that when tax time comes around, they press print on a report and it goes off to the IRS, right? Obviously, they're probably filing quarterly taxes. But really, I think the number one mistake is telling yourself, like, you'll do it later. Um, I have been called out. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Jesse, it's March 30th, okay? I'm that person with a stack of papers that sits next to my desk that I, I leave there and then I find it on April 1st. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's great. I'll look through this now. <laughs> yeah, but it's March 30th, Jesse. You have one extra day to really get, get it all Woo! in here. <laughs> I can get a slightly early start. Well, and you have an extra month this year. So mm-hmm. maybe this is a really timely podcast because anybody who was waiting until the first, you don't have 15 days. You have 45 days. You're welcome. <laughs> so the the problem, though, for waiting, not just it's going to take days out of your life to like figure it out, but I know for a fact Jess, Michelle, (laughs) you don't remember what your expenses were in June of 2020 for your business, right? You have to go back. You have to look at your bank statements. You have to look at your credit card statement. And if you see a receipt for like dining out, was that a business meal? Is that a deductible expense? Who was I with? What was I talking about? Like you forget so long because life is happening. You're very, very busy, but because you forget, you are leaving money on the table. So it's not just that waiting until the last minute takes days out of your life to get organized to submit. It's that you probably end up paying more in taxes than you need to. Then if you had kept proper records and if you had collected your receipts and just kind of organized things as you go, because when you do that, and we'll talk more about what to keep and how to keep and the systems behind that. But when you do that, then you know, oh, well, this is the income that I made and these are the qualified expenses that I've been keeping track of for 12 months. And you put A against B and then pay the difference or not, essentially. But you end up leaving money on the table by not taking your full deductions because, frankly, you don't remember them or you can't find them. Yeah. So let's I mean, let's hop directly into that. Like what should musicians be doing during the year to make sure they are prepared when tax season comes around? Like how how do you keep an organized system to make that so easy? So I think the first thing is knowing what is a qualified business expense, right? Because we can talk about the system, but unless you know what you're tracking, you just have an Excel sheet or a notepad, right? So yeah. first it's it's understanding, and this is where the, the, the confusion lies. So if you are a student still, or maybe you have a day job as like a W-2 employee, meaning you're paid, another company full-time or close there and they take the taxes out for you if you don't have any gig income or self-employment income you really can't take any deductions right that that tax law changed in 2018 but if you have self-employed income meaning you have a church gig that pays you 1099 you have you know uh concerts performances whatever any any type of self-employed income or if you teach lessons and you charge you know for those lessons or you have students that you train as well you have qualified deductions to offset those expenses. So the qualified deductions in its simplest form is, I mean, it it costs money to make money, right? So if there is something that you're paying for that is a business expense, like you have this thing so you can make money as a self-employed person, it can be deductible. Now, What that looks like is like if you buy music, if you pay for lessons or coachings, if you pay an accompanist, if you pay rental fees, if you pay AGMA dues, if you pay into AF of M, if you 
buy a subscription of, of a magazine, if you pay for Netflix to watch other live performances, if you have Disney Plus, so you could see Hamilton, market research. <laughs> Amazing. Disney Plus is now deductible. You're welcome. Well, and, I mean, for this year, everyone had to buy so much tech. I mean, we, were, we all yes. bought better microphones, webcams, y- you know, the professional version of Zoom so we could hold longer calls. Yep, yep. All of that is deductible. Your monthly subscription costs, any sort of tech that you've invested into, all deductible. Now, I wouldn't say, like, if you were trying to create deductions, like, I'm going to go buy a $5,000 microphone. But if you've already purchased it or if it's already in the cash flow, why not use that purchase to offset the self-employed income taxes that you're going to pay? The other thing that I see people kind of waffling about is their cell phone, right? If you pay for your cell phone as a business owner, but you use it also because it's like your only phone, so many times, I guess, let me blanket statement and say anything that I say on this podcast should definitely be checked with a certified public accountant or the tax professional that you use, right? I can share with you information that other artists have done or, uh, you know, my opinion, but I would always say talk to the CPA or the pro. So on that about your cell phone, having a cell phone bill or having a phone bill is a usual and ordinary business expense. Any business worth anything has a phone. So if you perhaps use your your cell phone because it's your only phone, I, I'm a huge proponent of just deducting your phone, your entire phone bill, because at the end of the day, it's a business resource that you occasionally use personally. Whereas you cannot operate a business today. I mean, maybe you can using VoIP or whatever, but traditionally speaking, you shouldn't be operating a business without a cell phone. And same for your internet, your internet expenses, especially over the last year. I had uh, someone reach out to me because she was like, well, my quote unquote practice space in my apartment is like 30%. It's a studio. So I'm deducting 30% of the rent and 30% of my utilities. I'm like, all of that makes sense. And she's like, and 30% of my internet. I was like, hold, 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 hold the phone. Wait, what? She was like 30% of my internet. And I was like, but why? Like you don't only use your internet for work 30% of the day. And in fact, if you are working 40 hour work weeks or more, you're doing more. So internet is another ordinary, usual business expense. You should deduct your entire internet bill. Because again, if you were setting up a business halfway across town in a studio and paying rent and utilities and a phone for that space, you would be buying internet. Deduct the entire $49.99 a month, right? It just makes sense. And then occasionally, yeah, you're a person and you use your business resource for personal needs. Every business owner does that. So wow. is it pertinent to keep like a, a digital or physical file of these receipts of the things you are deducting? For example, you know, your bill that's sent to you every month, just keeping a digital copy of it so that should it ever come up, you have it? Yeah. I'm sorry, I know nothing. (laughs) No, these are great (laughs) questions. So in order for an expense to be deductible, you need to have a real authentic receipt. So whether you get your, your digital receipt from your utility company or you check out, you rent studio space and then you get the receipt emailed to you via Squarespace or whatever, like you have to have an, a real receipt. Now it doesn't have to be a paper receipt, right? But if for instance, you, you need to purchase, you know, stage makeup, right? You need to be able to take the copy of that receipt and retain it somewhere. And I will tell you that receipts fade. So you need to hold on to them for about seven years. That's look back. I think it's seven years. I have to double check that. But I say keep it seven years. It might be five, but better error on the side of caution. Hold on to those receipts because if you get audited, 
you need to be able to substantiate that $19.99 charge, $19.99, was actually a business expense. And they need to see the itemized details for what you purchased with that money. Sometimes, and this is this existed in the hedge fund world as well, but you might lose a receipt, right? It falls out of your pocket. You forget to retain it. Honestly, if you wait a year, you're not even going to remember to deduct that expense. But if you're keeping track of your expenses on a weekly or even monthly basis, you can know, oh, you know what? I did this session and I had to, to pay my accompanist and I didn't get a copy of it. So just take a piece of paper, write down the date, you know, what you paid, who you paid, you know, who was the vendor or the person, the amount and the purpose. Retaining that information can generate enough supportive evidence of, of what you're doing. Some people these days, because they might use Venmo to pay, you know, for photography or coaching, yeah. um, print your Venmo, right? I'm laughing because I'm realizing I need to stop putting why I've paid someone on Venmo in emojis, and I should probably write the real reason. <laughs> but, you know, live and learn. Well, you could do both, right? You can have the emoji, yeah. but when you print it or when you screenshot it, make a note. <laughs> yeah. Piano emoji that. for coaching makes sense, but also maybe write coaching. So yeah. I actually have this checklist that I put together with a CPA friend of mine, and I'll give it to you guys, and you can awesome. use it in the recording notes. Six-page document of anything that she or I have seen deducted. So it's not mm. going to be a one-size-fits-all, but if you're looking and be like, I wonder if I can deduct my gym membership. Okay, yeah, it might be on that list, right? So figuring out what is a qualified expense and what is not. And, you know, things like your gym membership or whatever, if you're a singer, it, your body is your instrument. You you literally need to condition it just like, you know, a reed player needs to buy reeds and, and clean the inside of their, you know, clarinet or whatever. Like you have to take care of your instrument. You need to run around to be able to sing arias on stage, uh, you know, depending on the, the staging upside down, you know, doing headstands, cartwheels at the same time and also project. So going to the gym can be a qualified business expense when justified for that reason. So knowing what is and isn't tax deductible is really a question of like, does it really apply to your business? Yes. And chances are we're all thinking too narrowly about what that means and we're being a little too cautious about it. Though, so if you do have questions, obviously asking a CPA is your best choice. <laughs> yep. But now that you know what to track, right, a key mm -hmm. thing is really devising a system that works for you. And... And I, and I mean that it has to work for you because just saying like, oh, I'm going to use QuickBooks because so-and-so uses QuickBooks. Like if you're not the type of person to keep track of your expenses or to aggregate your accounts and like be able to swipe, then that's probably not the system for you. But you have to devise a system that works. So a couple of ways that people I know and have worked with um, keep track of their qualified business expenses are through programs like QuickBooks or FreshBooks. Those programs, it's software, maybe it's $14.99 a month, but hey, that's deductible because it's a business expense. So it allows you to put the software on your phone and link like your, your bank card or your business card to it. And then anytime you make a purchase, you swipe left or right, right? It's, you get to say like business expense, not business expense, business expense, not. And then it'll start to put it into subclasses for you, um, meaning like, okay, well, this was at a restaurant, so it was probably food. Was it entertainment? Was it a travel meal? it allow you to really start categorizing and organizing things as you go, right? So you don't have to remember, you know, three years from now, looking at just a paper receipt of like, what did I do there? Now it's in your system and you can have that automatically captured at the time of purchase. Another way that people keep track of their expenses 
is just simple Excel. And again, just, you know, I'll actually be putting together like a, a draft profit and loss kind of list for you guys that you can use because it's really, it's, you need the date, you need the qualified expense, who was paid, how much, and for why. That's really all you need. Then at the end of the year, when you look at all of your advertising and all of your, you know, website costs and all of your coaching and all of your hired contracts and all of your administrative expenses, you put it all together in one clean page, right? Called a profit and loss statement. The profit yeah. and loss statement then says, this is how much I made. This is how much it cost me to make that, right? These are my qualified business expenses. And then this is what's left. You know, this is the revenue or this is what my net income is. That then becomes the number. Your net is what you end up paying taxes on. And it could be a big difference whether you take the full deductions that are eligible to you or not. I blew Michelle's mind when I showed her programming in Excel. Yes. <laughs> how yes. to program it to do the math for you. And it's so much easier than everyone thinks. I, I promise a couple YouTube videos and you can build a functional budget and it's great and it'll do most of the work. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not so savvy when it comes to that stuff. I don't know what I'm missing like the little synapses the that are nice supposed to is, connect in my brain. <laughs> you've got stuff like Excel and if Excel is too much for you or too painful, then you have stuff like QuickBooks. That expense might be worth it for you if you are not the type who can really just Excel or Google Sheets doesn't work with your brain, then there are programs which is nice. And if you're just kind of starting out and you don't have a ton of expenses, I mean, if you make $7,000 of self-employment income, you don't have to go above and beyond to find $23,000 of deductible expenses that you can throw at the wall to offset that seven grand, right? You can, you know, just deduct a couple of expenses to pull down the, the net income that you show. And maybe it's just something like you keep an envelope with the receipts for that year and kind of a, a running tally on a piece of paper, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be overly complicated, but I would recommend building a system that's going to grow with you because as your career builds, as you get more busy and successful, having a system that you don't have to think about and you can just, this is the system that captures my business expenses, um, that's a lot easier than trying to essentially build the plane while you're taking off. Yeah. So when it comes to actually filing your taxes, what are your thoughts on on using services, whether, you know, the more in-person services like H&R Block or some of these like TurboTax-esque services or just filing on your own? I'm a huge fan for working and developing a relationship with a person, somebody who gets to know you over time and can help provide really important tax strategy for you as you grow. Early on in your career, if you've got 11099 and like W-2 income, you know, there's not a lot there. And maybe justifying the expense in that first year, because the expense working with a qualified CPA could be, depending on how complicated and how many states and how many countries you're filing in, I mean, it could be anywhere from like 200 to $500. Obviously, 500 yeah. is more like I'm filing in three different countries and 18 different states. But it, it makes sense to build that relationship because as your tax returns get more and more complex, you're going to have someone who knows you, who can celebrate the wins of like, mm, congratulations, you made five thousand, you know, fifty thousand dollars more this year, and now we have to do some work on on finding qualified deductions. But that relationship, it's just like having a good financial planner. It's 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 part of the team that you as a business owner builds to ensure your success. So early on, I, I guess some of the the singers that I've worked with have used TurboTax. I've personally used TurboTax before I was a business owner. And the software is really straightforward, but you will pay small business upcharge if you have 1099 income. And when okay. you're working with TurboTax, they don't 
you're not going to get the prompts of like, oh, you have self-employed income. Great. Would you like to enter in your expenses? You have to be really organized and know what your expenses are and how it fits into the line items that it's asking. When you work with an accountant, if you give them a profit and loss statement and it's not exactly what the boxes on the form say, you have a human who's going to make it work. And then my accountant comes back to me and he goes, well, what was your mileage and what was your traveling? And you didn't give me enough. And what, you know, like looking for other ways to reduce the amount that in and of itself is invaluable. And and I know a couple of, of musicians I've worked with who maybe they've done it on their own or they've used a different CPA who wasn't savvy working with musicians, but then they end up three years later getting their uh, tax returns redone by someone who understands the nuances of working with a creative professional and then they get money back, right? So save yourself the cost in the front end and know that if you pay $300 for somebody to do your taxes, that in and of itself is a deductible expense in year two, right? Like year over year, you can deduct that, but only as a business owner, you can't deduct the cost of doing your taxes when you're just a W-2. So sorry. So work with a person. (laughs) I will even go as far as saying like, if you have to use automated software, Tax Act or freetaxes.com or TurboTax, all I would prefer over H&R Block. H- Fair. H&R Block. I've heard terrible things. <laughs> well, H&R Block charges you for forms, right? So okay. it's fine if yeah. you're just straightforward. But if you have a tax return in a different state or if you want to file your you know, self-employed you know, um, Schedule C, they'll charge you every single time you do that. So I just think... If you can avoid the upcharges just because you have another page, why not? Yeah. And of course, if you're going to build a relationship with a person, try and find somebody who does work with musicians. Luckily, like we said, small world. So chances are someone around you knows. I have a small (laughs) group that I'm putting together of people that I refer to. One of them, he's a rock star out of Illinois, but he works nationally, like outside of Chicago, like super tiny practice. But when I called him, I was like, why do you do this? He was like, because I believe that I believe in fighting for the money that is yours. I believe that musicians need to have somebody who has their back. And I was like, you're hired. You're done. Like, you're amazing. (laughs) So I'm working on building more people to refer to. But people, if you want to include my contact information, I'm happy to pass along that that introduction. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay, so we've touched a little bit on what we can and can't deduct some common mistakes we're all learning that we should probably take uh you know a weekend or a night out of the month where we really sit down with this stuff and don't wait until april 1st which is all great information but i think something that musicians sometimes get really confused about is whether or not we need to be a separate entity and if we are a separate entity like what the heck that even means are we an llc are we independent contractors are we something else so what would you say generally is best practice. So this is actually something that I just went through with my accountant this year. So as a self-employed musician, it's just easiest, honestly, to just begin as a sole proprietorship, meaning when you work, you put your social security number as the tax ID number associated with getting paid, and then they pay you. You save your taxes. And when it comes to tax time, you you know, file your returns and list out on a Schedule C just your business expenses, right? You are your business, your sole proprietorship. It's just you, yourself, and nobody else. That's really straightforward. Now, if you start earning more than, say, $50,000 a year, some accountants might argue 75 or 100. Mine was like, look, if you know you're going to net 50 year over year over year net, um, it might make sense to file as an S-corp. 
Meaning, so when you're a sole proprietorship, you pay 15.3% in your self-employment taxes. As a business, as a corporation, some of those taxes are passed, right? It's a pass-through entity. Now I'm getting into the weeds a little bit more, but any good accountant can explain the nuance there of like, you're going to save more money by having and paying at your business tax rate rather than the self-employed tax rate. So it may make sense as your career scales to work with a professional to set up and file as an S-Corp. Now, the question of do you file an LLC or not, really, one creates an LLC, a limited liability company, to offset liability. Now, okay, if you're building a career as a singer, I personally can't see a way that you can harm someone through doing your job. Yes. I, I mean, some, you know, if you have to do a terrible job to do that. To do so. Unless you fall into the pit of the orchestra. <laughs> it's really to protect you us sh- from the orchestra. You're covered by the house. You're covered by the, the house that you're working oh. for, the, the, the presenting organization, right? So I can't True. imagine a time where you're either playing, I mean, unless you're like a violinist and like your your bow flies off and stabs someone in the eye. Like these things just don't happen. Um, so uh, filing an LLC is probably not necessary from a liability standpoint. Now, when when comes the time to file as an S-Corp, you're going to want to incorporate and use a tax ID number to then do all of your, your filing and everything like that. But that's that's down the road for most of you in terms of, of strategy. So, And then as a, as a sole proprietorship, you can still take the standard deduction, right? If you have normal income, like normal muggle income or W-2 income, um, you can <laughs> you can still take the, the qualified deduction because at the end of the day, the deductions that you're taking in your business are business expenses, right? You're not taking tax credits over there. You're not doing anything. You're saying, I made 50 and it cost me 27 and now I'm filing taxes to report 23, right? All right. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you take the standard deduction on top of that. There's a lot of questions there of like, I can't, I, I just do the standard deduction. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to itemize my business expenses because I'm just going to take the standard. No, do both. Even better. Love it. And something that you had mentioned earlier is obviously as musicians, we naturally travel a lot. Sometimes you go to school in a different area, you're being hired for gigs over there, and then you travel abroad and you get hired for a summer program. And you, it's super common to be making income in a variety of places. So how do we kind of approach that? And how does that kind of complicate things if it does at all? So that's actually a reason that a lot of musicians, if they can choose where their home base is, they'll move to Nevada or Florida or New Hampshire These are income tax-free states because when you work everywhere, you end up paying income taxes in your home base, right? You will file your taxes at home, wherever your home base is. You will get your your self-employed income paperwork from from wherever in the globe that you have worked, but you need to file in your home country and your home state. So, and then you will pay the income taxes in that state. Now, some, depending on which states you've worked in, they have their own rules of like, you're going to oh, and an additional state tax there because they have some sort of city tax that you have to pay as well, depending on where you're working. But all of that should be clear when you file, either through the software or working with a qualified CPA. They can help you find that. If you're abroad, same thing. When you're working abroad, they might even withhold taxes for you. I know when international artists come here and work in the U.S., the U.S. automatically, unless you file you know, strategic documents to prevent them, 
the the pre presenting organization has to withhold 30% of your taxes on the front end. And as international musicians, they then have to file U.S. taxes on their visa or their social security number to get part of that, that 30% back. Okay. So as international musicians, if you are working abroad, your pay may be deducted. You need to file. And then you, the United States has tax treaties with countries all over the world, depending on what rates and who gets what. So depending on where you're working, again, it gets much more nuanced. And that's when I would 100% recommend working with a CPA. I have a really great friend of mine from, we went to high school together. And she's this dynamite, dynamite mezzo-soprano. And she was doing a ton of work abroad uh, in Germany. And she got audited. And the IRS came to her and said, we need qualified translations of all of your contracts so that we can justify what you're making and your deductions, sorry, certified translations. And so a, a certified translation comes at like a buck 50 a word, right? So can you imagine having oh, wow. to pay a dollar 50 per word to have your contract translated? Mm -hmm. So luckily this gal, she's super savvy, super organized, and she had a great team here, US-based. She was literally like, hey, I'm getting audited take care of it to her CPA and her team and her manager and everybody over here. And she did her job, right? That's, I mean, being able to be that organized, that's what you're aspiring to. That's, that's what it is because that audit, eventually they didn't have to pay for certified translations, but it took months of fighting back, bringing in some lawyers. And I mean, it was just a mess, but if she had to do that alone, she would not be doing her best work abroad. She would be totally, she may have even yeah. had to fly home and cancel the contract. You're like, you can't just be like, hi, I'll be home when I'm home. Like, no, if the IRS needs you to show up and testify about your deductions, like whatever, like you need to do it. Uh, but luckily she had the team to support her. And that's kind of the importance of, of your team and your resources scaling up as you do and making yes. sure you're not depending on the same old system. That if you start out with that, you know, little file of receipts that when you are getting fast contracts and things like that, that your team and the people backing you up, you know, know what to do if something like that happens. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and also speaks to the, the importance of being organized. Um, and when you're working all over, you know, there's, there's different per diem rates and there's different, you know, rates that you get for lodging and rates that you get for mileage and whether or not you're reimbursed for those expenses. I mean, it might make sense to take those rates per city over just keeping track of receipts. Like it, it gets more nuanced as you get busier and that is not the time to start figuring out the system, right? So building your system now and knowing like, I am going to check my per diem rates when I'm in Kansas City. And I am going to keep track of my receipts and then take the greater of each, you know, and, and building a system that way is, it's really important because honestly, the, the number one reason I see people leaving the field, and this is when I was in management, and this is when I was, you know, since, um, is because of the financial inconsistency, right? It's not lack of talent. It's not lack of work. It's that they can't build a financial system to keep them stable financially, and they end up leaving out of frustration and heartbreak. So if you can get organized and build yourself a financial system to avoid that, you're guaranteeing being able to stay in this career longer than those that don't take the time to build the business systems to support their work. It's just as important as your practice time. I have learned so much. Oh. My head is so <laughs> full at this moment. I'm like, the sky I'm like opened. excited to do my taxes have now. <laughs> Which it I never very, thought would be words that would leave my it, mouth. <laughs> it's super gratifying. Though. I don't know. I'm I'm a numbers geek, but I think it's super gratifying. Like when you actually get into the process of looking at all of your receipts and keeping track of things and being like, wow, 
this is how much I made. And then you can look and see, oh my God, I made more than last year. And I made more than the year before, right? You can see the growth of your career and success in numbers. And the same, you know, conversely, like, oh my God, I'm starting to having to pay more taxes. That means you're making more money. <laughs> like, these are all good problems to have. Yeah. So that's something to celebrate rather than just like, oh, I can't, I can't find enough to deduct. I guess if I, I do need to say one final thing, one very, very important yeah. role, because people work hard to deduct and reduce their taxable income, because again, more money in your pocket, less at the federal government level and the state government level. But if you are a business owner, you can only claim a loss in your business for three years in a row before you need to show a profit. So if you make 7000 and then you deduct ten, you can show a loss of $3,000. In fact, you can do that for three years in a row. But, and then when you show a loss, you owe no taxes on that, right? You didn't make any money. But in the fourth year, if you show a loss for four years in a row, the IRS will come in and say, um, you are not a business owner. You are running a very expensive hobby. And they will no longer allow you to deduct your business expenses against your self-employed income. So be mindful of how many years you've claimed a loss. And by profit, I mean, it, it doesn't mean you can't deduct things. It means you show negative 3,000, negative 2,000, negative 5,000, $100 profit, negative 1,000, negative 2,000, or whatever. Like, you only have to show profit. They don't say how much profit. So it, that just means maybe that hmm. year you don't deduct your internet or whatever. You know, you're able to, to, to scale things accordingly, to be strategic. Now, hopefully, the career is taking off such that it actually gets hard to deduct things and, and claim a loss. But that's something really important to be mindful of. Yeah. It's great information to know. And this has just been so wonderful. Like I said, I think a lot of us do. We reach this point where, you know, there are people in, in our audience who may be doing their own taxes for the first time. There may be people doing it correctly for the first time this year. But it's so nice to get to ask these questions because I think a lot of us are like, I feel like I should already know and I don't want to ask. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And if you've had yeah. if you've had a family <laughs> member or like your parents, CPA, be doing your taxes, you know, it's all well and good. But they're probably, I don't want to talk in generalities, but I guess in time, at times I have seen people who work with someone who doesn't know artists give incorrect advice or not really take the full deductions that are due to them. Things like, how do you, how do you account for competition winnings, right? Is that income? Is it not income? When do we claim it? When do we don't? Like that stuff that working with a CPA who understands musicians can really help you strategize for. Um, and again, understanding per diem rates, you know, if your accountant that your family works with, you know, primarily works with small business owners that run shoe stores and self-employed, I mean, W-2 employees, they might not take the time to really learn those nuances for what you as a self-employed musician can can fully deduct. Yeah, I think it's always better to just trust the the music sphere, which is why it's really exciting to work with with people in a variety of career paths who, you know, all the way at some point have a tie to music. Um, but wow, I feel like I learned so much. This has been super helpful. Tiffany, tell us and tell our audience, where can we find you? Where can we interact with you? Um, like, just tell us all about everything that you do. I mean, you can find me like either at my desk or at my home. No, um, <laughs> so... <laughs> 
No, I'm going to get like random 3 a.m. knocks on my home. Uh, door. No, yeah, don't do that. Not. Um, I, Virtuoso Advising for Artists is, we have a Facebook page where that's just kind of the public page at Virtuoso Advising. There's also the studio, which is Virtuoso Studio Artists. That's a membership group tied to the page that, you know, people just kind of come in there. The idea is just to build a community of financially savvy and business savvy creative professionals that are working themselves to better themselves. So sometimes people post questions in there and I myself or part of my team or other professionals that are in the group can can weigh in. We have a CPA in there. Like she occasionally answers questions or whatever. I mean, it's not free advice, but again, we're all in this together to help benefit each other and grow. So that's the studio. I'm occasionally on Instagram, but usually it just mirrors what's happening on Facebook. And my email is Tiffany at tiffanysorcelli.com. And we'll link to all of those. Yeah, perfect. Because people can just, I'm, Virtuoso Advising is my passion project. I created Virtuoso to be helpful and to provide resources and education and just be a help. And and if you have a question and I can literally answer you and move you forward by by taking three minutes, usually it's going to be after I put the kids down before I pass out. But if I can get you... (laughs) and answer and move you forward, I'm going to do it. Like I, I want to be of service because at the end of the day, our world needs what you do, right? We need people putting beauty and music and culture out in the world. And I sing a little bit now, but I feel like I'm here to support the work that you all do. And that in in and of itself is the core of Virtuoso Advising. Just whatever I can do to lift you up, to move you guys forward, so that you can go out there and do the very important work that our entire planet needs. That's I'm going to I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. Well, thank you so much. It's been so (laughs) lovely to have you on here. And we're excited because uh, Tiffany is actually going to come back for another episode. So if you do have questions, you can send them to her or you can send them to us and we will get to them on the next episode. Hopefully, I'm really excited. There's really there's a lot of cool things happening, but let's just get through tax time. And uh, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll come uh, back post taxes. <laughs> yeah, post taxes. But then we can talk about like all the other fun, sexy stuff of finances, right? Um, so <laughs> I love it. Send your questions. We'll make it fun. And uh, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. We are super excited to have Tiffany rejoining us for a future episode in the next couple of months, all about, you know, financial literacy and planning your finances and understanding your finances and really thinking about it strategically as an artist. So if you have any questions for Tiffany, either about the topic for, you know, today's episode or for future episode, Feel free to send us a DM at Opera Offstage. We'll be compiling all of these questions for our future episode. And honestly, I'm like based off of how this episode went, I cannot wait to learn more about financial advising with Tiffany. I'm so excited. And if you want to contact Tiffany, we will have the links for that in the episode description below. And on our blog, we have that list of all of those deductions she talked about. Yeah, you definitely want to get your hands on those. So check it out at opera-offstage.com. And if you like this episode, if it was useful and helpful to you, please leave us a review. Hop on Apple Podcasts and just take a second to write us up something. It is so incredibly meaningful, and it also helps us reach a larger audience. And we love those messages. We take pictures of them and send them to each other and talk about how amazing our audience is. And we usually read them on the podcast. So if you can take a second to do that, we'd really appreciate it. 
Yeah, and if you leave us a review, definitely be sure to drop your Instagram handle or your Facebook handle because we would love to connect with you and just say hi and thank you for taking that time and give you a follow. It's so funny. We'll have people who will DM us and they'll be like, we've been, I've listened to all of your episodes and I've been like a loyal fan and I'll be like, oh my gosh, like this is so exciting. Like nice to meet you. You know what I mean? So we love hearing from you guys, even if it's not a review. And if you're not really a review person, another thing that you could do that could really help us is just take a screenshot on your phone from wherever you're listening and post it to your Instagram or Facebook story. And if you tag us, we'll repost you. And once again, we'll just think that you are the coolest person in the world. And it helps lots of new people say, hmm, opera off stage. That looks interesting. Maybe I should check it out. We love it. And we love you. Thank you for supporting us. And on that note, we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.